It's not learning about Scripture. It's about encountering God through Scripture. And I don't mean to put those in opposition to one another because they do are related. But I think sometimes we can look at Scripture as this thing, like this textbook. And that's not what Scripture is. Scripture is inspired by God. What that means is it's God-breathed. What that, mean, what that means is it's alive. It's not static, but it's dynamic. And as we come to Scripture, we bring ourselves to Scripture, and God encounters us through the Scriptures and where we are at. So a message, any message, actually, not just like today, but any message will hit all of us, can hit all of us in different ways, even though we're listening to the same passage. Because we have a God that knows us individually, a God that knows us uniquely and loves us in those ways as well, individually, uniquely. And so God knows what God has for us today. And so as we listen, resist the temptation of thinking, oh, I wish Greg was here. He really needs to hear this. But no, what is God saying to me? What is God, what is the encounter that I am being invited into in terms of knowing God, in terms of knowing self, in terms of knowing others, in terms of living in this world in ways that we become salt, we become light. Andy read the passage, so I want to go to the look at the first few verses of our passage. Very simple. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Okay. Most of the sermons are going to be interactive. What is Luke communicating in these two verses? So very simple. As you read it, what do you what do you see? What do you hear? What is what is Luke highlighting in these two very simple, straightforward passages? Juxtaposing Pharisees and tax collectors. Wow, juxtaposing, nice. <laughs> okay, so he's he's he has one side collectors and sinners, and the other side Pharisees and teachers. And what is the characteristics of each of those groups? Because that's sort of the big piece. Tax collectors are against, or are not considered good by Jesus because they're collecting money, and then Pharisees and teachers are actually teaching the word. Yeah, you would think that. And that's what is flipped upside down. Because why are the tax gatherers, collectors, and the sinners there? They hear. They're there to receive. They're there because. They've heard this guy has words of life. So they are there, open and receptive. And what are the Pharisees and the teachers of the law? Why are they there? Yeah, judge, accuse. One group is open and one group is closed. And it's easy to vilify the Pharisees and the teachers, but the disciples were like that as well. They wanted to hear Jesus, but like the Pharisees and the, and the teachers of the law, they had a pre-existing belief about the Messiah, for example. The Messiah was going to bring an earthly kingdom. And to the very end, if you read Acts, it says, as Jesus is leaving, they say, now is the time, now are you going to bring your kingdom? They didn't get it. And so it's easy to vilify one or the other to say, well, one's good and one's bad. But what it's really saying to us when we come to Scripture, when we come to God, are we open? 
Or do we have a hermeneutic of suspicion? Are we closed, stuck in what we believe to be true? You know, Job, the comforts of Job, if you know that story, where Job, terrible things happened to Job, and then his friends came and tried to theologically explain what happened. And they had a preset system. This is what it means. This is why this happened to you, Job. And there were four of them. And at the very end, God says to, says in sort of a general statement, they're all wrong. See, if, if God's word is dynamic, then we have to be very careful when we have static understandings of God's word. Because it's living, it's active, it's a place of encounter. And so our very beliefs can blind us to what God may be inviting us into, what God may be saying to us, because, oh no, God can't say that. Because this is what it has to mean. So as you come today, as you read the scripture, the question is, how do you approach scripture? This is rhetorical. How do you approach scripture? Are you open? Are you willing to be surprised by God? Or do you know very well what this passage means? And it can mean nothing else. And in my own experience, I've, I've gone back to passages, because I've been a Christian for a while now. It's like, oh my goodness, I never imagined that could, this is what this could mean as well. Not that I was wrong the first time, but to allow scripture to be this dynamic um, encounter with the living God. Right. Now let's just look at let's look at the parable. If Jesus told them this parable, suppose you have have a hundred sheep and lose one, doesn't doesn't the shepherd leave the ninety-nine and it's in the open country and never saw it before? So it's not like does does he leave them in this clo enclosed area where nothing's going to happen to them? It's just in the open country and they go after the lost sheep until he finds it. And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls two friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. And basically, they part. Because what was lost is now found. And that's going to be the theme throughout this entire chapter. What was lost is now found. So, back to our question, a little differently this time. What is Jesus communicating? about who God is in this passage. Remember, Scripture is to tell us who God is. But what is this revealing to us about who God is? So again, we're back to the interactive point. <laughs> he seeks us. Okay, yes, God is one who seeks us. Seeks that which is lost. Or even back to verse 1 of our, of our passage, He's there with the sinners and the tax gatherers. See, the Pharisees and the, the, the teachers of the law had not, had, did not want anything to do with those people. In fact, they would consider themselves unclean if they came encounter with them. Yet there Jesus is teaching them, and these people are the people who are open. But also in our passage, it's God is a God who pursues us. God is a God who seeks after us. God is a God that, that is involved in people's lives. What else does it tell us about God? Yeah, God is a God of love. And so he doesn't look down on the one that left. It's like, no, I love that one. And it doesn't mean he doesn't love the 99. It's like, no, I need to go out. I need to, to pursue that, that one and to gather her or him in and bring it 
bring him or her back to the community. And what else does it tell us about God? He values us. Yes, values us. Values the one. Values you individually as a person, even as God values us as a group. What else? That he puts it on his shoulders yeah. instead of like kicks it back. Well, there's a sense of intimacy. Yeah. The sense of, because we don't know what this, the shape of the sheep was. Um, but he takes it on himself, literally bearing the burden of the sheep. A sheep that who knows why went away but wandered away. And if you know anything about sheep there, everything is sort of their predator. They can die from a little thing that gets in, that little bug that gets into their ear. It's an active preservative. But also wolves and those kinds of things. So, so they're sort of helpless. So this 99, Jesus, or God, rushes out to embrace this, this one and doesn't want to take time getting back, wants to get back also to the 99. And why does, why does God want to get back to the 99? Cares about them too. They're in open country. Yeah, they're in open country, so he's not just leaving them by the side. Like, okay, he's concerned with them at the same time. It's not a this or that kind of thing. Okay, God's about the 99. Okay, I mean the ones. Like, All right, we're screwed. No, God's saying, no, I care about them too. Let's get back because I need to be with them as well because sheep, sheep, sheep need shepherd. But what else? Why is he coming? What else is he going to do once he gets back? Yeah. He wants to celebrate with those 99s. Like, look, this person, this sheep was lost. Now this sheep's found. And wants to enter into the joy. He wants the community to enter into the joy of what has just happened. Repentance, reconciliation. And what's interesting to me is it's not an individualized faith. It's not like, oh, the, the one's okay. It's like, no, brings it back into the community. Community is important. Community is the place where, where we are together. And the 99 were okay for a while because they had each other. And again, you know, we're talking about God and God there at the same time, but with this parable, they're still okay because there's a group of them. And then it was the one that was the most vulnerable. And so, so in this little passage, Jesus is telling us God is a God who pursues us. The end of Psalm 23 says, uh, what is it? Goodness and something else. Mercy, that's it. Will follow me or pursue me, some friends say, all the days of my lives. That's that's the God who pursues us. So what we learn from this passage, wherever we is that God is a God of what? Personnel, everything Right. A God of love. And there's a passage, first, 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 or first John 4, that over and over says, God is love. Not that we love God, first loved us. And so, so Jesus is, is showing to these sinners, these tax gatherers, who are the one that's away from the community, that, hey, you're loved. And they're the ones that actually want to hear the message. 
The Pharisees and the keepers of the law, their love is what? And Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee, eventually enters into that relationship with Jesus. But he loves them also. But with one of the things that was interesting to me, because he knew that, I mean, the Pharisees are muttering, um, it doesn't dissuade Jesus from doing what Jesus is going to do, or say what Jesus is going to say. He doesn't get gaslit by them. He still tells his parable to those who have ears to hear and eyes to see. So our passage shows us who is important to God. And so who is important to God? All people. That's all we can say, don't we? That or Jesus. All people, but particularly those who are lost. Particularly those who are disenfranchised. When Jesus talked about the gospel, he says, I've come to that the blind may see, prisoners would be freed, the or released, the oppressed set free, that healing would come to the sick. And so Jesus has a special eye, heart open toward those who are struggling. And that is all of us, actually. One day I was on a plane, and I don't like the fact that people are an introvert. So, so this is why I was like, oh, I'm a pastor. So the person saying, hey, you know, what do you do? I'm a pastor. So that usually in a conversation. <laughs> but it wasn't. It's like, okay. And so I got to share the gospel with him, and, and at the end he goes, and now we're, we're actually landing, and he said, that's just, that's just a crutch. And I said, you got it. That's exactly what it is. And that's exactly what I need. Yes, it's a crutch. It's a crutch that helps me live in my brokenness in a broken world, in a way that I have hope, in a way that, that I have a sense of future, in a way that, that I can, can enter into love and to share love with others. So yeah, you're absolutely right, it's a crutch. And when you get to the place where you really realize you need a crutch, remember our conversation. Because that's exactly what you're doing. God so loved the world, this is John 3, 16. And it says this um, in Ezekiel 33, 11. I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they will turn from their ways and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. So just even in the Old Testament, God is pleading for people to turn, to, which is the word for repent, just to change your way. Um, and then in 2 Peter 3, 9 says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. Instead, God is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That Jesus doesn't give up on people. That God is there desiring us to, to come back, to repent, and will carry us back if that's what needs to happen. Will rush to us if that needs to happen. Will look all throughout a room if that's what needs to happen. Because God is committed to rescuing those who are lost. Of coming alongside those who are in need. And that's us. And what is God also about? God is about celebrating. Christians are crappy at celebrating. <laughs> I don't know why. They just are. Every so often my, with my students, I'll come across, because I meet with them one on one, we have a class in three days, three days each month, I meet with them one on one. And sometimes 
I just realized, man, you do not ever celebrate your success. So I just give them some money and say, here's what you need to do. Don't use it for anyone else. Do something for yourself. I don't care what it is, but next time I see you, you gotta tell me what it is. It's not a gift. This is giving you something so you do something. And I want you to journal about what that feel like to celebrate, to do something just for you. But we, the way we learn how to celebrate is one, you can talk to Tony. Tony danced till 12.30 on New Year's Eve. He danced in the New Year, so he knows how to celebrate. But also, we need to celebrate for, with each other. When, when things happen, you know, maybe even expanding our prayer requests to share praises and to celebrate that. Because God is at work. That guy playing that cello thing, <laughs> that, this story, that's him and him. And he just went, and he had physical therapy for the thing. Not as clumsy as they you think. You know, he looked like he had all his homework, but not really. So he has physical therapy, and he has a conversation with this guy over and over and over again. And now, that guy is here with a little emotion. See, that's, that's not that he went out to find the 99, but as we live our life, that's where we are. We're out there. And who are those people? And how do we how do we interact with them in a way that shares the marvelous nature of who God is? That's why our image of God is still is God loving, is God gracious, is God merciful. See, those two groups of people saw God in very different ways. Let's go to the continuation. There we are. Okay, so here's the two groups of people. So this, the, it doesn't have to be these tax gatherers and sinners, but they see, they believe God to be gracious, merciful, loving, free. Where the, the Pharisees and Sadducees rules, judgment, condemnation, God limited. God can only act in this way. God cannot be about those who are, cannot be on the side of women, cannot be on the side of lepers, cannot be on the side of tax gatherers. That's not who God is. The other, the other people are like, no, we're, we're beginning to experience grace and mercy and love and freedom. That God can do what God wants us to, wants to do. And there was this guy named Jesus, that's it, Jesus, <laughs> who said more than once, you have heard it said, and that would be this, these people. Oh, yeah, we've heard it said that. We know, we know where you go with this. And then, then these people, so they stop listening once he says this next phrase, but I say unto you. These people suddenly perk up. It's not about condemnation or judgment. It's about grace, it's about mercy, it's about love, it's about freedom. And so the question is, as you think of who God is, which side of this continuum do you tend to lean to? So all I'm asking is if this, is, if this is the middle, where do you see yourself? And we're not going to share this with yourself, but do you see yourself maybe just a little leaning this way? Or do you see yourself maybe more leaning this way, or maybe more over to that side? Because that's going to impact how you hear Scripture, how you interact with God's Word, what you expect from God. 
See, this side, here's, here would be a verse that they would really love. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Which is actually Hebrews 12, or 13, 5. It's a great passage. What does that mean, though? See, they, they think of me, oh, this is how God's always going to be in terms of these laws, these precepts, these, these truths. This is what, what we've come to believe is what God is. Yeah, that's, but that's the dangerous part. What we've come to believe, that's who God is. These people would say, that's great. God is always gracious. God is always merciful. God is always loving. God is always free. So they would embrace that for a different reason. Because when it says that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, what it means is God's character doesn't change. But how God interacts with the world definitely changes. You know, I came up where drums were a bad thing, guitars were a bad thing. Like bad, like not, oh, you know, we don't like it. It's like, no, evil. They are of the devil. That kind of thing. That's not who God was. God was doing something different. I like to refer to God as the ever-changing, unchangeable. Because God is totally unchangeable in terms of God is love. But how God interacts with us, how God lives in and through the world, in and through us, changes because we're changing. The world is changing. And yet it's easy to get stuck in places as the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, even in our own theology. I know that can sound dangerous, but what it does is it pushes us toward Jesus and the teaching of the Holy Spirit. So what does this passage tell us about this? We're going to summarize it, and then I'll say a couple more things and then we'll be done. What does this passage say about the two types of people, verses 1 and 2? The two types of people, those who are... Okay. Okay, good. No, that's right. Sinners and righteousness. Anything else? Someone said legalist, did they? So legalism, open. Who are you? Who do you tend? Again, it's not on an extreme, but where do you tend to? Because there's something nice about static. I mean, that's the line that we fall into. Like, oh, this is how God always has to, has to work. I got a text this week. It said, this. Hey, Larry, I have a question to ask you, which is actually for my brother and sister-in-law, who are struggling a few years after losing their son. How did you get over being mad at God when your son died? Knowing God is all-powerful and sees everything. I know this may, might be painful to think about, but I think you probably have to do this. So the answer was, who do you say God is? See, if God is love and that never changes, then it's not contingent on my circumstances. So I can get angry at God, but still know God loves me. Yeah. I can get frustrated with God, but still know God loves me. God's not defined by my circumstances. God is defined by who God has declared God's self to be, primarily through the cross and the empty tomb. That God is on our side and promises, promises life everlasting for us 
here in this life and also in the life to come. But doesn't mean, doesn't, that doesn't mean nothing is going to happen to us that will devastate us. Jesus says in the world you have tribulation. I take courage I've overcome the world, but you have tribulation in the world. Jesus says each day has enough troubles of its own. Take first the kingdom of God. But don't lose sight of each day has troubles. When we begin to have a robust sense of God's love, that God is unchangeable in God's love for us, and in God's love in the world, yeah, we'll have some questions. Why is this happening or that happening? But we know that God is the God who seeks that person who's struggling. God is the God who, who will, will do everything they can because God is patient so that person comes back in the community, even if that person's me, even if that person's you. And so theology matters. And so we have two people two groups of people looking for you, and are you open to God? Are you allowing God to be who God is? Not defined by circumstances, but defined by what God has said, or what God has done, or do you have God in a little box that says, I'm a Christian now, nothing bad is ever going to happen to me. I'm a Christian now, that these things aren't going to touch my life. I'm a Christian now, as long as I do the right things, then nothing bad is going to happen to me. The list goes on and on and on. But that's a God in a box. A.W. Tozer says, a person cannot rise beyond their image of God. So our image of God is always limiting us in terms of opening ourselves up to God. Because God is, God is eternal. Heaven, part of heaven is going to be getting to know more and more about God. Not for a day, not for a month, but for all eternity, because God is eternal. And God is infinite. That's our God. The God that, that lives within us, the God who pursues us. And of course, we want to share about that God. There's a passage in first. Oh, and then the second part of the passage. What's it tell us about who God is? The God who goes out, the God who celebrates, the God who pursues. What does that tell us about the character and person of God? He's committed, God's committed to being in a relationship with us. Regardless of what we do, or nowadays we can actually use the word irregardless of what we do. God is for us and not against us. God loves us. God values us because we're creating God's image, and God is the God who pursues us. We need to remember that. And that's our message for us to share with others. So in, in 1 Peter 3.15 it says, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you the, for the, the reason of, for the hope that, that you have. So I want you to turn and share with some people, what's, what's the reason for your hope? Why do you hope in God? So now I'm hearing <laughs> Why do you hope in God? school and everything, I have to hope that um, just making, making myself feel better, making myself better in church, and uh, also I have a God doctor, 
who I want to take care of. I want to make sure that she is raised in the right way for her parents to understand what the God wants. I have someone to help get to the next level. We certainly need hope as people. For me, I need something greater than myself. Kind of like you were saying, like, I need something more improvement and all that. And because kind of left to my own devices, I'm, I'm just going to remain stagnant and right. not really find joy, you know, or find temporary joy, but I'm kind of like long-lasting, like deep, deep joy. I, yeah, I need something. I need something bigger than myself. It's good. Kind of me to love. It's good. Sometimes I feel that way too. Sorry, I just keep skipping over slides. I'm trying to find out where you're at. <laughs> Not that one, no, not that one, that one. <laughs> well, I thought you had your, your list, you're following along. You're just following along. <laughs> <laughs> of course, that's the thing, that's the way you got it. Tonight, would you go to hell or would you go to hell? 
But they said hell, which they never really did. But they said, I don't know. Then, hey, can I walk you through this booklet? And then you will walk them through the booklet at the end of it. Would you want, do you want to accept Christ? And what that turns, what that what happens with that is it's it's a thing. One size doesn't fit all. And it was what happened also, it started to turning turning encounters into transactions, not relational connection. So I wanted to say, and that's where I came out of. And then there came this book on, on evangelism that said, no, evangelism is actually a process. And now we're part of that process in how we live our lives. St. Francis of Assisi put it this way, preach the gospel always, and when necessary, use words. <laughs> and that's the process. So one day I was waiting for my, I was coming back from teaching and waiting for my train, and this person sat next to me and didn't know the train, train schedule well, it's from a different country, asked me about where this train was going with time. Um, and then, again, I usually don't talk to people, but they sat down next to me, so I was like, well, maybe that's a little something. So I just asked them some questions, and they shared their story with me, and I ended up asking, can I pray for you? Because of what they shared. And I prayed for them. Did they become a Christian right then? No, not that no. But I, I was part of that process. And maybe one day they will come into Christ. And I'll never know it. But as we live our lives, we are salt, we are light, as we manifest the fruit of the Spirit, we are evangelizing. Every time you go up to one of our little kids running around and you show love and kindness, you're evangelizing. You're preparing that heart to receive Christ. Every time you're nice in a grocery store, you're evangelizing. Because we are salt. We are like Paul says we're an aroma to people. There's something that, that is communicated just by how we are, who we are, as we live life. And maybe we get a chance to lead some of those people to Christ. I've been praying for, I can't remember his name anymore, I led him to Christ in the probably late 90s. And I was one, I've just been wondering if he's dead or alive, and his family's dead or alive, as you are, but I've been teaching seminaries here for a couple of weeks. Because he lives in Ukraine. And I remember leaving, and he was only six years old at that point. But he was my interpreter for when I, was, when I wasn't teaching around town and such. And we were able to, I was able to share the gospel with him. So there are times like that, but even, even if that didn't happen with him, that was still part of his process. So don't, don't say, I'm not an evangelist. No, you are by how by who you are. And then if you live your life in tune with who God is, there's a message that goes out from you. And sometimes people, people will ask, what, what's that about? One day I was the, uh, the command, commander of the, the sub, sub police station where I worked at. Um, and so I was in charge of who would go to a call or whatever, or I don't know, whatever, for children and those that group that day. And there was a suicide. And so whenever there's a dead body, all cops tend to go there. So they all went there. They all went in the room, and there were crosses all over the room. And they knew I was a Christian. And so they all came back. So so maybe 10 of them, five cards each, probably 10 of them came in and said, did that person go to heaven or go to hell? 
because they took their life, that stuff doesn't seem good. But they had all these promises, seems like they believed in God. So there was this opportunity, because of how I lived my life up to that point, where they came, seemingly, sincerely, asking a question. And I got to share, share the gospel with them. And what God's love means. And how God is, is gracious and loving and kind. So as, as, as God goes out to the 99, the inference is we need to go out as well. To look around and say, who's, who's some of our, you know, our hundred that aren't here anymore? Maybe I need to go see them. But maybe they're blind. Maybe they're part of another. Oh, we've got another one. That's great. But to be, be a part of that. But don't see it as an event. See, that's part of the process. Preach the gospel always. And when necessary, use words. Let's pray. Jehovah Jireh, mighty counselor, prince of peace, good shepherd, lamb of God, light of the world, mercy mother, strong child, living water, Alpha and Omega. Emmanuel. God, we thank you for the myriad of ways in which you reveal yourself to us. Ways that communicate your love, your care, your commitment to be involved in our lives. To love us into the kingdom. Thank you that you are patient. And that nothing can separate us from your love. Help us to be open. Help us let you be free to be who you are. Keep us from putting you in a box. Help us to be surprised by you. And may we be available to share that hope that we have. Because of who you are. Because of who we are. Because of who you are. And what you have done in and through the person of Jesus. We ask all these things in, through, and by the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.